Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. When you have it tonight, say amen. The Bible says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such immorality as it's not even named among the Gentiles. That's pretty bad. That, that a man has his father's wife. He said, you are puffed up. You've not mourned. He who has done this thing might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, I have already judged as though I were present him who has done so has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, the power of our Lord Jesus, verse 5, delivers such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For Christ indeed our Passover was sacrificed for us. Uh, therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven uh, or with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since you would need to go out of the world. In other words, Paul's saying there's a lot of sinners in the world. He says, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or an extortioner. He says, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are also outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? For those who are outside, God judges. Therefore... Put away from yourselves the evil person. Tonight, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray you speak to our hearts. Give us an ear to hear and heart to understand what you have to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I will say this tonight. I have never heard a sermon on this passage. Maybe you have. I haven't. So when I saw this, I said, you know, Lord, I'm going to tackle this because it's in the Bible. And it's actually something that's not just in the Bible one time. It's in the Bible multiple times in multiple places. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the sin that no one talks about, and that's the sin of tolerance. It's the sin of tolerance. You know, we live in a world where tolerance is a buzzword. You know, I found out that when you watch CNN, you watch Fox, you watch the news, you listen to the reports, everybody says, you just need to be tolerant. But that applies to everybody except for Christians. Because they don't want to tolerate our faith and our belief. But we're, we're told that we need to coexist. We need to, we need to do this. We need to do that. And so tolerance for many has become a word of accepting contrary beliefs, convictions, and ideas, philosophies, even though they may totally disregard your faith. Now I'll say this, that when it comes to tolerance, there are some things that we need to tolerate with one another, right? Preferences, Amen. You know, preferences are not sin issues. In other words, if you like country music, I can tolerate you. Amen. I'm going to pray for you, but I can tolerate you. If you like unsweet tea, I'm from the South. I'm from the deep South. We don't like tea unless it tastes like pancake syrup. So, amen. And so, if you like unsweet tea, I can tolerate you. If you like black, I like coffee. I just like it sweet. 
So we can tolerate that. There, there, there are differences of preferences about people that we can tolerate musical styles and, and styles of dress and styles of philosophy. But there's one thing in the body of Christ that we shouldn't tolerate, and that is sin, right? We shouldn't tolerate sin. So tonight we're going to talk about the sin of tolerance or the sin of silence. The Bible lends itself to the idea that either turning a blind eye or refusing to say anything makes us complicit, if you will, in the lives of people. I want you to look at this verse that Paul wrote to Timothy, young pastor Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. Here's what he says. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, do nothing with partiality, right? Then look at this. He says, verse 22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily or suddenly, nor share in other people's sin. Keep yourself pure. Now, let me, let me explain this tonight, okay? When you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul's dealing with the eldership in the church. And he uses a, a statement here. He says, lay hands on no one hastily or suddenly. In, in other words, the laying on of hands was so vitally important in the early church, Hebrews lists it as an elementary doctrine, so before there were deacons to be commissioned to the church, they were to have hands laid on them, they were commissioned. Before missionaries were sent out, they had hands laid upon them, they were commissioned. Before, uh, you know, the, the pastors, when they installed them in churches, they laid hands on them and they commissioned them. And when the apostles laid their hands on them, what it was, it was a public sign of endorsement. And so it was, it was an endorsement. Have you, you know, for you're familiar with the concept of somebody endorsing somebody for political office, right? It, it is putting your stamp of approval. And here's what Paul was saying. Don't lay hands on people suddenly. That's why in another place he said, he said we must know those who labor among us. We've got to make sure of who we're installing into the ministry because when you put your hands on them and you bless them, so to speak, then you are partaking in their sin. That's deep. So we're talking about the sin of tolerance. Now I'm going to give you a scripture tonight that's going to blow your mind. Romans chapter 1, verse number 28 through 32, is a is a powerful passage. Now, by the way, this passage of Scripture, I mean all of Romans chapter 1, you, you will read it today and liberal Christians will scream and, and want you to rip it out of the Bible. But it's in the Bible. Everybody say it's in the Bible. Romans chapter 1, if you think the Bible has nothing to say about homosexuality in the New Testament, you're wrong. Romans chapter 1 is written about it. Now, I want to make a statement. I want to make it, make it clear. We are not homophobic. We don't hate homosexuals. We pray for people who struggle with that. Uh, there's a difference, though, in, in struggling with something and accepting it as acceptable. And Paul writes to Romans chapter 1, and he deals with the story, or with, with the nature, rather, of homosexuality. And he deals with how it is deviant from nature, how it's against God's creative design, right? 
And he talks about how man left the natural use of the man, woman left the natural use of the woman, and they did things which were unholy and unnatural. Look at what Paul says. We're talking about the sin of tolerance tonight. Everybody say tolerance. Look at what he says. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says this, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a depraved mind, to do those things which are not fitting. You know what that tells me right there before we go any further? If you're just bent on doing wickedness, God will let you. You know why? Because he doesn't violate our free will. And so God said, you know, they were bent to do that. And so he gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which were not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, uh, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Notice he's naming all of these things, but the, but the context of Romans chapter 1 is the subject of sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality. And look at what he says, um, verse number 32. He says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, right, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Now stop right there. He's not talking about Old Testament stoning here. He's talking about spiritual death. It's, it'll separate you from God, spiritual death. He says, those who practice such things are deserving of death, but, but don't miss this, not only uh, those who do the same, but also those who approve of those who practice them. God says when you agree or condone illicit lifestyles, you become complicit in them. And I, I'm sad to say, but at the rise of homosexuality in the world today, there are many Christians whose families have even begun to be in these lifestyles. And, you know, it's amazing how we preach about stuff and we're passionate about it till it hits our house, right? And then somehow it's palatable when it's our kids, our grandkids, our cousin, our aunt, our sister, whatever. But God says we're complicit in the act whenever we agree with those who do those things. So these passages are very sobering and serious, and they deserve for us to give a serious look. So tonight we're going to, that was just a foundation. I want us to look at what Paul was saying at the church at Corinth because this is very important. Now, Corinth was a spiritual church, but yet they were carnal at the same time. If you read anything about 1 Corinthians and go into 2 Corinthians, it tells us that uh, operating in spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, healing, all of those things do not equate spiritual maturity. These people were very immature. In fact, Paul spends chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 telling them that I desire to give you deep things, deep things for, from God, but I can only give you the milk of the word. He tells them, I want you to grow up and be mature in Christ. And he starts dealing with all of these things one after another, but yet he gets to this point and he just lays the line out. Now, Corinth is a church that Paul started. Paul was an apostle to the church at Corinth. See, what we don't understand in the Bible when you, you have the apostles, right? Paul was not an apostle to everybody. 
Paul was an apostle to the churches that he planted and he pastored. Just like I'm a pastor, but I'm not a pastor to everybody. I'm a pastor to our people. So Paul had apostolic authority to the church at Corinth. He planted it. He fathered it. He installed the elders there and all of those things. And word, get back, word gets back to Paul about some craziness that's happening in Corinth. Now, I want you to paint this picture tonight in your head. This is where it's at. There is a man in the church. The Bible is clear. This man is a church member. He's not a lost person. He's not a new believer. He is a church member who has taken up a liking to his father's wife. Now, you say, who needs Jerry Springer, right? When you have the Bible. Okay, now, there's been some theological debate whether or not this is the man's mother, which is even sicker, or stepmother. Most people tend to lean that it's his stepmother, but it, it does not matter. And the scripture does not address the woman, which leads to another theological discussion that this lady likely was not a part of the church. Uh, she was probably an outsider. And so they're dealing specifically with this man and his influence. And Paul deals with him extremely strong. Now, why is this passage so important tonight? This passage is important because we live in, in, in an era where people cannot fathom today that Jesus would be this bold. Right? How many of you agree with me? You don't hear this on TV. You don't hear it preached. We hear God's love, God's grace. All of that's true. I want to echo, man, God's grace is deeper than the ocean. His mercy, Lamentation 323, is new every morning. I mean, oh, it's so awesome. But we forget the Bible says, behold, both the goodness and the severity of God. That's Romans. Paul said there's a balance. There's heaven, there's hell, there's justice, there's mercy. And Paul deals with this guy on a very strong level. I would submit to you tonight that if most of us, or should I say most church leaders, dealt with problems like this today, there would be, the stuff would hit the fan. Let's say it like that, right? But Paul dealt with it. So I want you to notice before we go any further, here's what you've got to understand. This man is not a new believer. He's not a struggling believer. This man is an unrepentant believer. Paul makes that clear. He knows he's doing wrong. He's been told he's doing wrong. And this man won't repent. And besides that, a spirit has come in the church to where now people are celebrating this man's achievement. How crazy is that? You don't believe me? Let's look at it together. If you got your Bible, go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look through a couple of these verses again. We're not going to read the whole thing, but let's start back at verse 1. Paul said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. And if uh, there's no children in here tonight, um, if you want to know how bad sexual perversion was with the Gentiles in Ephesus, they had a thing with the, the goddess Diana. She was a fertility god. When they would go to the temple, they would have temple prostitutes. They would offer themselves to the, the goddess Diana by orgies and great things like that. And, and so it was, it was horrible. And so to, to have something as grotesque as a man in the church who is a church member 
uh, okay, he was a church member sleeping with his father's wife, and everybody in the church knows about it, and nobody wants to say nothing. Paul said that's a problem, okay? He says this, and he said, you're puffed up. You've not cried about it. You've not mourned about it, the man who's done this deed. And Paul said, watch this, I'm absent in my body, but I'm present by spirit in my letter. I have already judged this man. Now, I can hear modern-day Christians. She taught on it last week. Judge not, lest you be judged. Only God can judge me. That ought to scare some people. This passage is interesting because we've already established this man is a part of the church. Okay, He's not a lost man on the street. God deals with, with people on different levels. Now, as far as sin and all that stuff, but I mean... He didn't deal with somebody who didn't know better the same way. In fact, we're going to see in Matthew chapter 18, there's a prescribed order that God has with dealing with these type of things. Now, this is interesting. Everybody's turning a blind eye. He says, you're puffed up about it. He said, it's not good. And he goes on and he begins to talk about how a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Anybody ever baked anything from scratch tonight? You take a little bit of that yeast, it doesn't take but just a little bit, and you take a little bit of that yeast and you mix it around that dough, what happens? It spreads like wildfire. And Paul said this is a serious, serious instant instance. And so we need to look at it. So let's look at this tonight. The first thing I want to look at as we're looking at this together, number one, is we got to consider the church. We got to consider the church. Paul, Paul has responsibility. Okay, not only do the elders in the church have responsibility, the pastor, Paul's even given him a whooping because this is Paul's over, this is that, that leader's oversight. Paul was his oversight. And he comes and he says that what you're doing is not good. We've got to consider the church. Paul has a responsibility to the church. So the question we've got to ask is, what will this do to the church? What will it do? What will it do if the church turns a blind eye to blatant, habitual, unrepentant, justified sin? It's a valid question. You've got to ask yourself the question, how will it affect the next generation? How will it affect the young people? If the older are to be an example to the younger, how does it affect? What one generation does in moderation, the next generation does to excess. They always carry it a little bit further. And so it's so important for us to keep an example and to to live a life in front of the next generation, our teenagers, our young people, our young married folks, to, to give an example in front of them of what godliness, righteousness, and holiness looks like. And, and we got to understand, when you're looking at this, what is this going to do to the church? It is going to spread like wildfire. Also, what is it going to say to new believers? What does it say to new believers? You see, you can't preach about righteousness and holiness and sanctification with this type of stuff going on. So you have to turn your eye to it and soften your message. Now, this is, this is terrible. It's very terrible. So I want you to, to look at a couple of things with me because this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. we got to consider the church. Now, here's what was happening. The Bible says they were puffed up and they didn't mourn. You know what they said? Oh, man, look at this guy. He, he done found him a new girlfriend. 
Woo, she's hot too. She's a hot mama. Good for you, buddy. Good for you. But you know, we can't do that. You know, Christians who, we're not, again, people, this is, this is kind of iffy with people, but this is why the church is so weak today. Can't handle anything. It's important. You know, you, you have, you have a, a young lady. Let's, let's give an illustration tonight. You've got a young lady who falls into sin, right? She's repentant. She, she, she changes her life. This lady got pregnant, blah, blah, blah. She, she comes to realize it's wrong. She shouldn't have done it. You don't take it out on the baby. You bless the baby, blah, blah, blah. You know, you do those things. You show mercy, grace. This is not that situation. This man's been gone to. This man has, has, has turned a blind eye. Church leaders have turned a blind eye. And now people are celebrating the sin. Oh, you moved in with your new woman and she's married too? God bless you. That's great. You're awesome. It's sin. And Paul said bragging about that stuff is stupid. He said it's terrible. You, you, listen, the, you don't just read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. Amen? It's in there. He said, listen, what you're boasting is not good. Paul told him, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. He said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for rejoicing and boasting about the sin that's among you. you got to consider the church, the example that you've got to set in front of people. Here's the second thing. Are you ready? The second thing is, not only do you consider the church, but we got to consider the person. Okay? you got to consider the person. Are we doing them right? By ignoring it. Now, I know what people say, well, judge not. Now, here's what the scripture says. The Bible says to judge righteously, judge accordingly, uh, use righteous judgment, don't judge condemningly, always, always approach in the spirit of reconciliation, not the spirit of condemnation. That's why the Bible says don't judge hypocritically. Don't, don't go to your brother about a speck in his eye if you have a mountain in your own. That's why you look at yourself first. You ask God, okay, am I dealing with this stuff? And you go with the spirit of meekness. The Bible says if any of you are overtaken in a fault, you who are a brother, go to them in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also fall. You know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall when you get prideful. So that's not what we're supposed to do. But... By, by ignoring it and celebrating it, are we doing the person right? No. And isn't it interesting that Paul thinks this is a big deal? Somebody say it's a big deal. You know, this is so interesting to me because we have so many people today in the body of Christ who say sin doesn't matter after you're a Christian. Paul didn't get the memo. He was serious about this. He was serious about it to the point he was concerned for the man's soul. And the man was a believer. Because when you continue in habitual sin, right? We believe in grace, believe in mercy. When you continue in habitual sin, you harden your heart, you harden your heart, you harden your heart, you eventually walk away from the Lord. Paul knows that. And he said, it's not good. Because what happens? By ignoring the man, we're not doing him any good. Let me ask you a question. Is their attendance and their offering more important than their soul? The answer is no. The answer is no. Got to consider the person. What is the most helpful for them? I want you to look at Matthew chapter 18 with me. And I want you to look at this. 
See, this, Paul's about to do something extremely strong, but I want to show you what Paul said here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. It says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and you tell him his fault between you and him alone. Stop right there. Somebody sins against you, you go to them, just you and them. Don't involve third party. That's called triangulation. It gets people involved that shouldn't be involved. You go to them first. And then if they don't listen to you, you take somebody as a witness. That's why the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That way they can never say, they didn't tell me, they didn't whatever. You went and you told them. Then, notice what he says here. He says, go and tell him alone. Right? He says, and and if he hears you, you have gained your brother. That's the goal. Right? Is, is the goal, is, is, is dealing with sin, is the goal of dealing with sin condemnation or restoration? It's restoration. Paul said if he, or yeah, Paul said if he, or Jesus rather said if he hears you, he says then you've gained your brother. Now look at the next one. He says, but if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Look at verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, Tell it to the church. And then he says, if he refuses to even hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. That's what Paul just did in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This man would not listen to the elders. He wouldn't listen to the leadership. The people in the church were out of line celebrating their sin. So you know what Paul did? Paul, by apostolic authority, removed his church membership. He put him outside of the church The Bible says, for the destruction of his flesh, that his soul might be saved in the day of judgment. Whew, that's heavy. You know how many people won't touch this passage? But it's in the Bible. Is it in the Bible? It's in there. So, we've got to understand, we've got to consider the person. God's goal is restoration. God's goal is reconciliation, right? So, notice this. So, Go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and let's let's look at this in verse number 5. The Bible says, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying or boasting about this sin is not good. Don't you know that just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? Don't you know that tolerating this with this issue so big, so blatant, it's going to spread. Your young people will think it's okay. Your, your, your young Christians will think it's okay. And you've got to not let that happen. So notice what he says here. He says, verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For Christ indeed was our Passover. He's given an illustration back to Exodus here. Um, now, Look at verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Now, I think this is important, okay? Now, look at this. Verse number 10. This is important. He said, yet I did not mean the sexually immoral people of the world. or Then he says, you know what? Look, I'm not just dealing with sexual immorality. Let me put some other stuff out here. He said, covetousness, extortioners, idolaters, blah, blah, blah. He said, you'd have to need to go out of the world. Here's what Paul was saying. I'm not telling you to stop hanging out with sinners. He said, sinners need a Savior. 
Paul said, I'm not telling you to do that. He said, I, I'm not telling you to do that. He said, you would have to like leave the planet to get away from sinners because sinners are everywhere. A dog hath fleas and sinners sin. That's what they're supposed to do. And, but, but what Paul said, I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Now, notice what he says. Um, verse 11, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Don't get twisted at me, number one. But number two, I didn't write this. I didn't write it. I mean, I might be talking about your best friend, your spouse, my best friend. I don't know. I'm telling you what the Scripture said. Paul said uh, somebody who is called a brother. So this man was recognized in the church as a church member. And he had been called on his sin. Church turned their eye. Everybody puffed up. He won't repent. Paul said, I'm telling you, don't be best buds. Don't hang out with him who is sexually immoral, covetous or whatever. And then he says, don't even eat with them. That's tough. That's tough. That's tough. I hear somebody now, that ain't like Jesus. Well, there's parts of the Bible about Jesus you don't like, but you don't get to pick that. The Word of God's not a buffet. You got to take all of it. And... It's crazy because, notice this, notice what he says. Don't even eat with such a person. He says, for what have I have to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Put a, put, but those who are outside, God judges. This is what Paul's saying. Those who are outside in the world, God's going to judge them one day. They have no ifs, ands, and buts about it. But when he uses the word judge, he's not using it in a condemning way. He's using it as a way of of accountability, of being a brother and sister enough to call somebody out on their stupidity. Amen? In a spirit of reconciliation, in a spirit of restoration, to see somebody running towards a cliff and say, man, if you don't get yourself away from that cliff, you're going to drop off and die. Now, do I love you more if I say something, or do I love you more if I don't say anything? The problem is the world says I love you more if I don't say anything. I just agree with your life, agree with your circumstances, agree with whatever. But Christian love is not always lovey-dovey. Christian love sometimes is speaking the truth in love, right? Now, how many of you, I don't... We're not panning the crowd tonight, so DHS is not on call. How many of you ever whooped your child before, right? All right. Now, whooping your child, according to the Scripture, is a manifestation of love. The Bible says, he whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The Bible says, uh, spare the rod, hate the child. It doesn't say spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not in the Bible. It's spare the rod, hate the child. If you don't discipline them, you don't love them. So God's discipline is a manifestation of love. And so we don't see church discipline in the Western culture. And let me just add this. When you try to discipline somebody in the Western culture, they just get in their car, go down the road to another church. Because people can't be corrected. That's just where we're at today. But if the person can receive correction, we've got to understand that when you're erring in sin in that kind of way, God will throw every kind of lifeline out there he can to help you. 
We got to consider the church. We got to consider the person. We got to consider their soul. We got to consider that God wants to restore them. But number three, we've got to consider the Lord. What was Paul's attitude? What was the Lord's attitude? Now, Paul's attitude was not, it's okay, buddy. Grace has you covered. You're good. No, because there is grace, but this man was abusing grace. The Bible says we don't turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is just a big fancy word for unrighteous, unclean living. You don't use grace, you know, um, you don't use grace as a license to go out there and do what you're going to do. And that's what these people had turned it into. And Paul said, no, sin, even as a believer, it, it, it's terrible. It separates you from your family, separates you from yourself because it causes issues internally. Sin, when it, and it brings destruction, it separates you from the Lord. It, it's, it's crazy. Crazy, 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 crazy. So that was his attitude. It wasn't grace, grace, do what you want to do. No. But the Lord and Paul both, their attitude was restoration. Restoration. Now, I've got some good news for you. This didn't look like good news right here. But Paul told them, you have to put this man out of the church. Say, God would never kick somebody out of the church. Yeah, he would. Because the church is not a country club. It's not a free-for-all where you pay your dues and you get to just do what you want. God is the Lord of the church. And he sets boundaries, parameters, and things in his word that he wants us to follow. And it's just like any loving father, any loving mother, they have parameters for us. But the moment we step outside of those, there are consequences, there are errors. And, and Paul, you know what he did? He said, y'all put the man out of the church. He made this statement. He said, turn him over to the destruction of his flesh so that his soul might be saved in the day of judgment. Whew. I don't know what you got to do so bad for that to happen, but I hope I never find out. Well, let me tell you in plain English what Paul was saying. Paul was, Paul was saying, we're going to put you out, and God's going to take his hand off of you. And you're going to hit the bottom, and hopefully, before you die, you turn back to the Lord. That's what he said. God cares about people's soul that much that he's willing to go to that drastic of a measure. Now, does he have to? No. That's not where Matthew 18 starts. In fact, that is, that is so drastic, that should be like last resort type of stuff. But always goes with the go-to. But Paul dealt with it. But notice, both of their attitudes and their motives were repentance in restoration. Now, I've got some good news for you. Over in 2 Corinthians, I think it's in chapter 3 or chapter 4, Paul writes to them about this man. He says, welcome him back into the church and forgive him. Guess what? It worked. Somehow he got out there like Jonah and got the mess beat out of him and realized like the prodigal in the pig pen, I need to come back to the father's house. Amen? Now, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? It does. But, but, it's so important. So I want to leave you with a couple of nuggets of truth tonight. We got to mourn over sin. We got to judge it for what it is. Purge out like leaven and seek restoration. 
Now, I want to make it clear. I've said this four or five times already. I want to make it clear. This is not a new believer struggling in sin. It's not. Man, God, God has so much grace for us. I was ministering to a guy one time. I led him to the Lord and uh, in the youth group, you know, when I was youth pastor. And, man, he had quoted scripture, and, and then he had cussed in the same breath. He was just saved. He was learning. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a believer who fell into a mistake and he's remorseful about it. I'm not talking about that. you got to understand what I'm saying. And I feel the need to overemphasize over and over and over again. This is somebody who's been in the church, who knows better, whose heart's hardened, he's turned away from the faith, and it's, and it's caused an infection through the whole church. Paul said, you got to deal with it. Somebody told me like this, it's like a toothache, right? You have a tooth infection, you know, um, up in your, your gums or something. Nobody likes to go to the dentist, right? Nobody. It's not natural. You know, anybody with a drill and uh, an edifice in your mouth to prop it open and, you know, they're coming at, you know, nobody likes that. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Well, you know, you start out with the toothache that hurts and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. And then you end up having to go to the dentist and get an antibiotic or get your tooth pulled or something because it's so painful. What am I trying to say? It's going to hurt now or it's going to hurt later. But either way, it's going to hurt, right? And so sometimes when dealing with situations in life, we, we, we put them off thinking that they're going to get better, but sometimes they get worse and this was a very drastic thing, but God had to do this. And you, you know, I can give you Old and New Testament uh, examples of this. I, I give a lot of Old Testament stuff, but then some scholar will tell me, well, that's Old Testament. Well, Achan and the Battle of Ai was Old Testament, but Ananias and Sapphira was not. Right? I mean, God judged Ananias and Sapphira, and they dropped dead in the temple courts. You know, Achan took the spoil of Ai, or, or the, the, the spoil of Jericho, rather, that was supposed to go into the house of the Lord because it was the first fruit, and he took some portion and put it in his tent, and his whole family was judged. So God deals with this, old and new. He is very serious about us keeping ourselves in line. So tonight... What's the moral of the story? What's the sin that nobody talks about? Tolerance. Tolerance. To tolerate sin. Um, do you understand what I mean? Uh, I was listening to an interview, and I'm closing. This is the official sign. The preacher is closing. Double. I was listening to an interview at a Bible college in California with a panel of young people and a minister and the Bible college president. And they asked the question because they live in California. I'm from California, so on my birth certificate, I'm a native Californian, although I speak with a southern draw accent because I was raised in Arkansas from the time I was five. But that's my home state. Um, and everybody knows California is very liberal, right? Trends set from New York to California and they come inward. Um, but, you know, years before it was popular, they had... Let's just put it out there for what it is. They call them affirming churches, gay affirming churches, okay? Now, here's the deal. One of the young people asked, well, can I, can I attend 
one of these churches. And they brought this scripture out in Romans chapter 1. Well, if you go to a church that's openly affirming this, then you agree with it. I'm not going to go into this too hard, but it's almost like voting for somebody who agrees with abortion. And you don't have to put the scalpel in to participate. We participate like this. So we have to be careful with this.